Justice Warriors, I'm Heather Cohen. The investigative team and I have been working on the Karen Swift case for going on two years now, and there are some things about this case that just don't sit well with us. We've consulted an expert to help answer some of those questions. Before we get into our topic, though, I must warn you. If you're a friend or relative of the victim, or if you are sensitive to the subject of human decomposition, you should not proceed with this episode. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Mr. Mark Gillespie. Mr. Gillespie is a Texas board-certified private investigator, forensic scientist, security specialist, and an active shooter survival trainer. He has been president and CEO of Gillespie Forensics and Investigations since 2004. Mark specializes in cold cases, forensic consultations, human trafficking cases, missing person cases, criminal defense investigations, and personal protection, and is a security awareness trainer and speaker. He has a master's degree in forensic science from George Washington University and spent a career as an Air Force officer and special agent in the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. As a special agent, He commanded investigative units in the U.S. and overseas, conducting and managing a wide variety of serious offenses such as espionage, terrorism, and crimes against property and people. After retiring from the Air Force, he served as the Director of Forensic Science for the Austin Police Department. He also helped develop a forensic science undergraduate degree program at St. Edwards University in Austin, where he also taught forensic science, crime scene investigation, and criminal investigations courses. He is currently serving as a forensic and investigation expert on the popular true crime podcast, Culpable, Without Warning, the Lauren A.G. case, and several others. Mark is a past board member and president of the Texas Association of Licensed Investigators, and he currently serves as Tally's school director. Mark is a past board member and secretary for the National Council of Investigation and Security Services. He also co-founded and is chairman of the Board for National Association of Missing and Exploited Children. Mark is licensed in Texas, Alabama, Louisiana, in Tennessee, and is a member of many state and national PI associations. Mark, almost two years ago, I was sent Karen Swift's autopsy and asked to take a look at the case. I'm hoping that you can answer some questions that I have about that autopsy today. I'm glad to be here and uh, look forward to helping out in any way I can. Okay, great. So I guess the first question that I want to hit you with is about decomposition. There are a lot of people that think that Karen may have been moved And I know that that's difficult to determine based on 
what little information that you do have because there are a lot of factors that have to be considered. But based on decomposition alone, you know that she was missing for 41 days. Is the amount of decomposition that you're seeing in the report consistent with the amount of time that she was out there? In 41 days, the degree of decomposition that was explained in the medical examiner's report, I feel is consistent with her being found or, or her being uh, in that area since since her death, uh, up up to the time that she was found. Uh, you know, we're talking uh, roughly what four four and a half five weeks, and uh, I feel you know based on you know my experience. Uh, I feel that, that that decomposition is consistent with being in that place the entire time. Okay, what about her injuries? What did you make of those? Well, the, the injuries to her skull were, were extremely significant. Um, uh, I, was, I, was very, I was very moved by the, the depth of the injury, uh, the, the type of injury it was. Um, you know, it was to the right, essentially the right side of her head. And um, the medical examiner reported that there was an eight centimeter by four centimeter oblong depressed fracture on the right side of the cranium. And inside this, this area, this eight by four centimeter area, uh, and keep in mind that, that I think is um, what, like, three and a half inches by an inch and a half. So it's, it's not a large area, but it, but it, uh, it's an, she described it as the medical examiner described it as an oblong defect. And it had, uh, uh, what, what she described as the, the, the cranium, uh, had many, many shattered bones, uh, that were within the, the wound defect. Uh, so it was a, it was a very severe blow. I've been trying to figure out what type of object would would make that kind of an oblong impression. Um, you know, the skull is a very very resilient bone, um, and it takes a lot of force to to um, to fracture it, to break it, uh, to damage it. Uh, but the force here that was applied was was very significant and it was done by i think an object that that created a pattern injury that oblong shape and the force was was great enough to uh to cause the 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 bones to actually penetrate the the, the brain is it safe to assume that the shape of the injury would somewhat mirror the murder weapon it may not mirror it identically it may mirror it may be very similar it, that's that's a good question it's hard it's hard to say um but i would i would be uh you know you got to keep in mind you know think about an object that is robust enough or or 
heavy enough um, and the dimensions that are eight and a half by at least eight and a half by uh, four centimeters in shape. So could it be consistent with a ball bat? You know, that was one of the first things I was thinking of. But a, a ball bat, though, is I mean, you would have to you would have to conduct some tests just to see um, just to determine if if you could replicate that oblong pattern with a ball bat. The, the a bat, you know, having used a ball bat, you know, for many many years playing sports, um, when I when I when I first thought of a ball bat, you know, baseball bat, softball bat, I I was thinking that 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 would would or could fit, but it could that could be a little more stout than what the oblong defect actually is. What about the end of a golf club? Um, a golf club may be, it, I would probably not say or, or select a golf club unless I, I, I would, I would want to test it, do some field tests with it. But I mean, it, it could even be, uh, you know, it, it could be a, a, a large pipe, a heavy metal pipe. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like putting your imagination to work to kind of come up with an idea that, uh, that could fit this. So maybe what we need to do is actually recreate the scenario and see if we can cause the same shape from an impact of different items until we find one that actually fits. Exactly. But I, I think also, I think also that you would have to look at the person who would inflict such a damaging blow and and in my opinion i don't see a this may be discriminating but i don't see a woman uh necessarily to have the the, the ability to inflict that type of a blow right and i also have to wonder if the person who inflicted this injury on her would have to have been a good deal taller than her as well well, it's possible, but we yet we don't know the position of her body um, at the time she was struck, um, you know, and without without seeing pictures of of the body of of the scene, it's really hard to you know piece those items together, you know, and and, and try to recreate it. Um, so it, it's really hard to say. Mark from Again, what little information that you have about this case. Have you developed a theory about how Karen Swift died? Well, I can't really speak to a theory, but I, I, one thing I thought that was very unusual was on the uh, internal examination, the medical examiner, you know, she, she, she goes through and she describes all the uh, items that... Uh, you know the parts of the anatomy that are that are examined, such as body cavities, the cardiovascular system, uh, liver, pancreas, spleen, so on and so forth. Then she gets to internal genitalia, and her description, based on her examination, is internal genitalia are not identified. Well, what does that mean? That that could mean a, a couple of things. I mean, when I first read that, I I, I kind of had to read it again. Because 
um, if they're not identified, to me it tells me that the ME, it's not visible to the medical examiner. So if it's not visible, it's probably not there, which leads me to the next question of where did it go? That is the one thing that has stood out to me the most about Karen Swift's autopsy. And it haunts me because all her other organs appear to be present. Her female organs are the only organs that are missing. That is so disturbing to me. Yeah, everything everything else appeared to be normal. Um, So there was no... There was no other, there were no other items that stood out as being abnormal, um, you know, unusual with the exception of the, the genitalia. And of course, not having the ability or the opportunity to see the autopsy photos or the body as it was when it was recovered on the scene it's hard to to really understand or you know in my mind what what the body truly looked like uh now we have the the autopsy diagrams that are in great detail that are you know quickly hand sketched uh and and items are notated by the medical examiner of the of the various defects you know throughout her body but but without having actually seeing the pictures upon the autopsy to to kind of you know get a better idea as to what what her body and what the the genitalia um uh, looked like or could have looked like in you know since it was gone it it it's really hard to you know we're missing a big piece of the puzzle to to really develop a a, a theory or you know, other than the fact that they were gone, we know nothing more than that. Uh, and that, and to me, that's, that's troubling. But then we can go on further and keep in mind that the internal genitalia are not identified, but yet in the external description, um, the medical examiner reported that, um, and I'm going to quote on page two of 12 of the medical examiner's autopsy report. She states, surrounding these tissue defects, which expose bone, are small slit-like to round openings consistent with post-mortem animal activity. These openings measure from one-eighth to three-sixteenths inch in average size. Um, and in these areas of tissue loss, bone, including the cranium, mandible, facial bones, right and left humeri, uh, upper spine and upper ribs, pelvic bone, left femur, left fibula, and left tibia are visible. So given that description, basically of um, the round openings and uh, small slit-like round openings, that that makes me wonder what really caused those. Was it truly animal activity? Um, animal activity that I'm accustomed to recognizing and uh, dealing with is, or, 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 you know, gnawing marks, 
you know, scratches. Animals do not make slits. Correct, but not slits. So given that information, I'm troubled by the fact that the genitalia is missing. And I'm so I am just kind of making a bridge connecting these these uh, these points and crossing over by thinking that perhaps those slit-like defects and those round openings, uh, especially given the size of one-eighth inch to three-sixteenths of an inch in average size, could possibly, could they have been made, you know, from a knife? Um, and could the internal genitalia have actually been physically removed by the perpetrator, uh, by the killer, um, you know, with a knife. Uh, that That's speculation on my part. I'm just, you know, based on what I'm reading, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to connect the dots. Whether those, quote, slits were caused by animals or man-made, either way, that seems to be the only way that her female organs could have been extracted as far as I can see. Would you agree? You know, when, when a body is left in the wilderness, um, you know, there, are, and, and, and part of the decomposition process is, um, you know, bacteria, insects, animals, you know, they, they devour the body. Um, so it's possible that, an animal could have uh, eaten away the genitalia, but I think there still would have been artifacts left by the animal or animals, you know, uh, clawing, chewing, digging, scratching, gnawing at, at the body. Yeah, and not only that, but why would an animal only eat those organs and devour all of them, not even leaving a piece of them. I mean, you would think that only parts of it would be missing, but to take all of those organs, but no other organs, it seems to me that that is way too selective to have been done by an animal. And that's a good point, which leads me to this. You know, animals, it, based on the report, the medical examiner's report, there, with the exception of their comment about post-mortem animal activity, uh, you know, causing the, the round openings and the slit-like markings, um, there's not mention of, of other physical defects caused by animals. And during that time of year, any time of year, you know, if, if you're you're going to have a you're going to have animal activity uh, come upon a body, and 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 it it will. It, I mean, it's a free meal. I hate to be so crass, but it it is. It's a, it. Yeah. So my feeling is that there would there would have been her her body probably could have should have been more devoured by animals um, or if if the animal if an animal had had devoured the genitalia there would have there there would have been signs 
actual physical signs, you know, in the bone and the pelvic region, uh, you know, teeth marks, chew marks, gnawing marks. Um, but they wouldn't have stopped with the genitalia. They would have they would have gone to other areas of the body, you know, soft soft tissues. So even though the decomposition levels may have been consistent with the amount of time that she was out there, the animal activity wasn't necessarily. Well, that's hard to say, but it but, but it's a good question. Um, you know, I don't know what I don't know, and 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 all that could be fairly well tested or uh, answered. You know, by by conducting, you know, tests in the field with, you know, with uh, animal carcasses, you know, uh, and and photograph just to see what kind of animal activity is in that area. Um, I mean, that's it. It bears further investigation just just to really, you know, to try to get at what what really goes on out there. So then is it possible that she was moved? Yeah, and that's that's a valid question. Um, but I think based on, um, I don't find anything unusual in terms of her, I mean, her body was in advanced stages of decomposition. Uh, she was, you know, her skin to a degree was mummified. Um, you know, there was, um, I, I, if, if, if I recall correctly, portions were becoming skeletonized. Um, again, I didn't see the entire body, so, uh, I don't know exactly what degree of decomposition that she was in. Um, but I just know that based on that timeline of 41 days, I, I don't, I don't, there's, to me, there's no red flag that's going up that's saying right now, at least that she was out there less than that and was perhaps kept in another place. I, I mean, it's, it's possible, um, but I, I can't say that it's likely or unlikely. One thing that that is troublesome to me, a is is what we've been talking about the the absence of internal genitalia. Uh, it's it's very possible that that part of her body could have been could have been removed just as a hunter would remove you know the guts of a of a of a game they killed. Um, and maybe there was a reason they moved it, perhaps because of uh, evidence that that could be revealed if she were found and an autop you know autopsy were conducted and uh, you know DNA could have been discovered uh, or injuries could have been discovered, something that would lead to an actual perpetrator. So, uh, and then there's other things that are even more heinous, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, taking souvenirs or doing like a revenge killing and, and butchering the body just just to go above and beyond the death. Just to make a point. Yeah, exactly. To make a point. So I wouldn't rule those things out also. 
Uh, and that may, to many, uh, seem pretty bizarre behavior, but, you know, it, it happens. Exactly. And, I mean, if a person is capable of murdering another human being, I mean, that in and of itself is bizarre behavior. So if they can do that, then they're capable of anything, really. Well, and this this person, I think, based on her her what I know about her lifestyle, um, there were a number of people, I think, that would probably benefit from her being gone. So I, 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 you know, I just, you know, that thought, that thought hangs over my head quite a bit. I know what you mean. Mine too. The thing about it is though, with this particular case, the person that killed Karen Swift didn't just want her gone. This was a severe act of hatred. You're exactly right. But, but I never, ever dismiss that thought because, because that is definitely within the realm of possibility. And as, as, as barbaric as it may seem, that stuff happens every day. Okay. What about the fibers that they found in her hands? What did you make of that? Yeah, I was, uh, I was struck by that also. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, they, they were, they were nonspecific in describing those. Could it have been carpet fibers? Yeah. I, I, and, and what I'm thinking of, I'm trying, I'm trying to reenact in my mind the process that she went through to have those fibers in her hand. You know, was she being, you know, first of all, what were the fibers? We don't know. I don't know. I don't know if they even know. Um, but was it, was it a, a, she may have very well known that she was, she was in jeopardy, her life was in danger, and she clutched onto something to, as, as a way to tell people that would find her, and this is morbid, but it was a way that she could have, you know, sent a signal to people that this is this is where I was. This these fibers are crucial to solving this case. So you know I think that's definitely possible. I mean they didn't they didn't mention hairs. They didn't mention um, they didn't describe in any great detail other than I think it was just small fibers, light short light colored fibers were collected from each hand. Nor did I see in the report um, anything about, uh, and, and, you know, anything about the uh, evidence that might have been obtained under her fingernails. But again, I, I don't know exactly the condition of her hands and her fingernails uh, when they recovered her. But it, it, I would be curious to know about, you know. DNA that could could have been gleaned from her from her fingernails her hands Mark when I read this autopsy there was a scene that played out in my mind and the way I saw it going down was that she was struck on the right side of her head with an object and then she fell to the left and as she fell 
she hit her side on something and that is what fractured her left rib. Does that sound like a likely scenario to you? Yeah, I think it's plausible. Um, I, you know, it's that's you know trying to trying to reconstruct this, you know, using a kind of a cause and effect process. I, I think that's definitely possible. Um, so yeah, I, I would agree with you. What about the toxicology report? Was there anything about that that stood out to you? Well, the 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 detailed findings, like we said, they show ethanol, um, acetaminophen, caffeine, the diphenhydramine, and ethanol. Um, now, the the of course the caffeine that doesn't strike me as anything that's unusual. Uh, acetaminophen, um, you know, found, you know. The, the the test revealed you know that from a liver tissue um, you know it's definitely going to be there uh, and we're finding you know people have a, a a lot of acetaminophen in in their liver because we, we use a lot of that on a daily basis um, then you've got the diphenhydramine um, which is like a, a it's an antihistamine with sedative and um, anti-emetic effects, uh, that's there. So I guess that, and of course there's there's ethyl alcohol, ethanol found. This doesn't strike me as anything. Uh, no 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 bells and whistles go off in my mind when I see this. Okay, I didn't think there would be, but I had to ask anyway. Well. Tracy wanted me to ask you a question. She couldn't join us tonight, but she wanted me to ask you about the food in Karen's stomach. We do know that Karen ate French fries at around 1 a.m. And we also know that there was some food that was found in her stomach. Uh, now, we don't know specifically that it was French fries found in her stomach, but we do know that there was undigested food. Can you explain that? And is there any way to determine how much time passed from the time that she had last eaten until she was murdered? Well, generally speaking, food stomach contents, it, t it takes about 22 hours to, to, to digest food. And there, there, was, there was not a, a, a large quantity of food in her stomach. I think they said it was... Um, what, 75 cc's? Um, I think 75 cc's is a little over two ounces. So that's that's not a lot. Um, but but nevertheless, there was food. Um, I, I, I don't, I'm not aware that they did much to analyze or felt the need to analyze the, the, the stomach contents. But I know taking a look at stomach contents uh, in many cases is important to to help approximate possibly time of death. But in this particular case, you know, the whole the whole death investigation is compounded by the fact that her death occurred 
on her, uh, she was missing on the 10th of, excuse me, on the 30th of October and not found until the 40, the, uh, until 41 days later. So it's, it's, it's stomach contents is very difficult for us to try to evaluate uh, given that range between the time she was missing and the time that she was actually found. So then no, there really isn't any way to figure that out based on the food found in her stomach? I, I, I would defer to a medical examiner who deals with that on a daily basis just to, just to get their opinion, um, which could be interesting. All right. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Do you have any questions or comments that you'd like to add before we wrap it up? Well, I, I think you did a great job on the narrative, um, and you were very timely with everything. I mean, you, you followed up on leads, you know, you know, the same day, next day, a couple days later. My question is, what? where does this investigation stand right now from, from, from the counties or I guess this is a county case, correct? Yes, it is. Are, do they have a person of interest? Yeah, as far as I know, their person of interest has always been Karen's husband, David. Now, see, to me, I think he's the fall guy. Um, he, he had the least bit to lose. Well, I don't know if I could necessarily say that. They were going through a divorce, and from what I understand, Karen was actually going for the juggler. She wanted everything, the house, the kids, the money, what what little money there was, she wanted it. But I agree. I do not think that David is the one with the real motive here. Well, did he know, did David know of her lifestyle? Yeah, he did. He had caught her sneaking out a couple times, and he knew about the wild parties at the Bonas. And as far as I know, I think he had actually been to at least one of them, seen it for himself. So, um, yeah, he did know. Mm -hmm. Well, my gut, based on everything I've read, um, based on your report, my gut is not telling me it's, it's David. And, and, of course, I could be wrong, but... Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, as investigators, that's what we do. We go off of our gut and we go off of what information we have. And based off of the information that I have, that I've been given by witnesses, and based off of my own gut feeling, I am absolutely in agreement with you. I do not believe that he is the person that committed this crime. Well, folks, that's going to conclude our episode tonight. I do hope that we have shed some light on the subject and that it's been informative. Mark, it's always such a pleasure to have you with us. And I just want to ask each and every one of you, please do not lose hope. We will get to the bottom of this. We will find justice for Karen. I know it in my heart of hearts. I pray for it every single day. And we won't stop until we achieve exactly that. So until next time, keep fighting for justice.
It is our duty to shine the light of truth, to bring justice to the restless souls whose lives were lost to their hands. Rise up against the evildoers of this world so that their souls may have peace. We will not surrender. 